0: A lot can happen in a week, can it? Last week at this time, those of us who are LSU Tiger baseball fans had high hopes. The Tigers were one victory away from winning their seventh national championship in baseball against Florida, and then Sunday afternoon happened, and Florida set a college World Series record by scoring 24 runs. In a college World Series game, and they tied the all time record for number of hits in a college World Series game with 23, and they destroyed our Tigers. I say our Tigers because um, my baby pictures, I've got LSU clothes on. I was born and raised down in South Louisiana. Uh, I have always been an LSU fan. Now, look, uh, I, I, I pull for the Warhawks up here. I mean, my mama and my sister and my wife and my son and my niece, they've all got degrees from there. I pull for them. I'm all in with the Warhawks. I pull for, for tech when they're not playing the Warhawks. I do. I'm able to do both. I know some of y'all got some bitterness in your life you need to get, get right about, but I'm able to, to pull for both. And just like my Mississippi daddy moved to South Louisiana and became an LSU fan, but he's able to pull for both Mississippi State and Ole Miss. Some of you purists out there don't understand that. It gets you all offended. I've, you know, how can you pull for both? He's capable of doing both of them, and, and, and we've been able to celebrate national championships for both of my daddy's Mississippi teams. He didn't go to either one of those schools. He went to none. So I'm saying all this, I claim LSU just because of how I grew up. I was born and raised pulling for them, they our team, and our team got whooped bad, and it did not look good. It was horrible, and so it set up this winner-take-all game on Monday night. How in the world would our boys overcome a devastating defeat like that, embarrassing, humiliating? How would they overcome that crushing weight of defeat? Well, What a difference a day makes. quick summary of where we are here in a whiplash transition, by the way, in the message to this series, Basket to Casket, the Unsettled Life of Moses. What in the world does this LSU baseball setup have to do with this? I'm glad you asked. Hang in there, and we're going to see today some truth and some principles. Now, I'm going to be caveat. We're not getting spiritual truth out of the LSU situation. We're not. But we're going to get a good example of of what God does and how he operates and and how our life perspective needs to be. Last week, we looked at God's call to Moses from a burning bush where God acknowledges the suffering of his people. He says, man, I I see my people. And uh, he gives Moses this assignment to go to Pharaoh and ask for the release of his people so that they could go in the wilderness and make a sacrifice to God. Well, Moses didn't know how he could convince Pharaoh, and he didn't know how he could convince the Israelites that God had a plan to deliver his people. And so he had several objections. You remember God answered all of those objections, and then he gave him three miraculous signs that he could use to be able to demonstrate that God was God and that he was all-powerful. And so once he had done that, then Moses still... Didn't, didn't believe and didn't want to do it. He was just not wanting to do what God wanted him to do. And God got angry with him. Moses tried to use the excuse that he wasn't a good speaker. God was aggravated with him. He says, I've got Aaron, your brother here, ready to handle that. And so basically he had obliterated all the objections. Moses and Aaron call for an assembly of all the Israelite people. They come together. They give the word of the Lord. Aaron you know, says it, that what, what the Lord had given to Moses he gives it to them. He performs these miraculous signs. The people are overwhelmed. They believe. They fall on their knees. They pray. They worship the Lord. We're aimed in the right direction here, man. It, it is moving towards the way that the Lord wants it to go. And so now it's time for Moses and Aaron to take the Lord's message to Pharaoh. I want to invite you to stand with me in honor the reading of God's Word from Exodus chapter 5. I'm just going to read the first five verses. We're really looking at, at all of chapter 5 today. Um, and, then, and then verse 1 in chapter 6. But for, for right now, for the sake of time, we're going to read the first five verses. Later, Moses and Aaron went in and said to Pharaoh, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says Let my people go, so that they may hold a festival for me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh responded, Who is the Lord that I should obey him by letting Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and besides, I will not let Israel go. They answered, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go on a three-day trip into the wilderness so that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, or else he may strike us with plague or sword. The king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why are you causing the people to neglect their work? Get to your labor. And Pharaoh also said, look, the people of the land are so numerous, and you would stop them from their labor." Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for this encounter in the life of Moses as he begins his leadership of your people that you called him out to do. Lord, thank you that you don't don't hide the flaws of your people. You don't hide the flaws of your great leaders that you call out. Lord, none of us are perfect. And Lord, we're able to, to see in spite of imperfection, Lord, that your plan still goes forth. And so thank you that we're gonna get to look at that today. God, speak to us through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. As you're being seated the main idea today that we're looking at is this. Through every season, we can trust the Lord is faithful. Through every season, we can trust the Lord is faithful. Uh, you guys know I've been here for a good while now, 31 years, and, um, and a lot of us have walked through a lot of life together. Man, we've experienced some, some high moments, some wonderful times of celebration where God has done great things uh, in us and through us and among us, and uh, we've had a lot to celebrate. And then we 've walked through some low, low times too, man where you 've just been kicked in the gut, and with life and its situation and circumstances and the pain that comes along with living living life this side of heaven and um, and so today we 're going to acknowledge and recognize that in spite of the ups and downs of life that there 's a constancy and there 's a consistency that we can see in, in, uh, and through God and I hope that you 're encouraged by that today. The first point that we 're looking at is this god 's ability to deliver isn't limited by man's ignorance. God's ability to deliver isn't limited by man's ignorance. So Moses and Aaron, they go in and, 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 and they're talking to Pharaoh. Now, we don't get the details of how they were granted this audience with Pharaoh. Uh, Pharaoh's the, the, the man. I mean, he is the king of, of, of Egypt. He is over everything, and he's regarded as a god by these people. They had many gods, but Pharaoh was at the top of the list, and, and that's just kind of how they worshiped. And Moses, obviously, I mean, the people that, uh, that wanted to kill Moses from a couple chapters ago, and I can't go back and recap all that. If you're, if you're just now getting in with us in this series, man, go back and watch the previous messages or just start reading at the beginning of Exodus and, and see what happened. But, uh, Moses, those people that wanted to kill him, they were dead. They were gone. And, but apparently his name was still known some way there. He grew up in Pharaoh's house, remember? Now his mama got to, got to bring him up, but then she turned him back over to Pharaoh's daughter. So he grew up, not, not the same Pharaoh, different one now, but he grew up there. So there was a familiarity with at least the name of Moses. We don't get the details of it. We just know that Moses and Aaron get to go before Pharaoh and they represent the Lord. It says, this is what the Lord, when you see Lord in all caps, that is the English transliteration of Yahweh, the covenant name of God. That is when, when Moses asked, who should I tell the people who sent me? I am has sent me, Yahweh, uh, this, uh, the, rooted in the, the, the Hebrew verb for, for the word to be. That's kind of that, that verb form. So I am has sent me. Well, Yahweh, I, this is what Yahweh, the God of Israel, when you see God there, is it's Elohim. That's that, that plural aspect. Elohim is a plural Hebrew word. Today we would recognize it as understanding the, that God is God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit, all of that wrapped up in who, who God is. But that was the way that, that uh, he was referred to uh, throughout Scripture. So this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says Let my people go. Now, remember, they are talking to what is regarded as deity there. And and, and they, they're giving this message to him, and Pharaoh's response is less than stellar. Uh, who is the Lord that I should obey him by letting Israel go? I don't know the Lord. Now, this, this who is the Lord, th- this, this question that he asked, um, you know, when you're in conversation, tone is everything. You know how you can ask a question in one tone of voice, and it means one thing, but you change the tone? and it means something completely different, all you husbands know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Right? I'm not going to get up in all of our business and lay it all out right here. Y'all know what I'm saying. We've, most of us have gotten in trouble because of our tone before, even if it was unintentional. That just happens. Well. If, if Pharaoh had had the right kind of tone and intent when he asked this question, it would have been a completely different encounter right here. So if, he had, if, if it was a, a real genuine asking for information type of a response, you know, it, it, that it would have been, hey, who's the Lord? man? I, the new information here, new to me. I'm, I'm not, not acquainted with him. Don't know who he is. Who is he that I should, that I should obey him? It, it would be kind of like, I mean, again, this would be a beautiful scenario. You know, how as believers, man, we're called to to share the truth about the Lord. Man, we're called to, to tell what we know to be true, to share a testimony about him. We're called to, you know, we call it the Great Commission, man, to go and make disciples of all nations. Man, we're going we're to represent the Lord in, in this way. And then sometimes there are challenging situations out there and people that it might be kind of intimidating to share that message with. Maybe it's somebody that's, a, that's a, an admitted skeptic or maybe they're just super intelligent and maybe more smarter than we are and you don't want to be embarrassed by, by them or a per, person in, in authority or maybe they're antagonistic to the faith. And all of those are challenging type situations to be able to speak the truth that you know to be true. First Peter, Peter addresses Uh, and he talks about suffering, or this is in the context of, of going through suffering, and God's people are certainly dealing with suffering, and it's about to get worse here. Peter said, Who then will harm you if you're devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear them or be intimidated, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. That is the aim that that we're about. That is what we're to be prepared to do. As believers in Jesus, we should have a story. What we know about God, what we've experienced from him personally, what he's revealed to to us in his word, that we're able to present that. We're not responsible for the results. We're not responsible for their buy-in or not. We're responsible for telling it. That would have been wonderful if that was the kind of tone that Pharaoh had responded with right here. But the second option of tone is almost certainly what, the way that it came out. We read it in black and white. You just kind of have to imagine what the tone is. And based on the context and what's going to happen after, I think that we understand that his tone was a, was a questioning of authority response. In other words, who does this God think he is? I'm Pharaoh. He's God. I'm God. I do what I want to do. Who is this guy? And if you could just imagine, why in the world would Pharaoh feel like he needed to be in obedience to the God of the Hebrews who were slave people? They were in captivity to him. They, they were people that had no power at all. And they were, they were making bricks, mud bricks out there. That's what they were doing. Moses, who is representing to them, you might remember from last week, Moses was a shepherd. He got called out from tending his sheep and shepherding was regarded as a detestable practice by the Egyptians. They really looked down on them. So why in the world would Pharaoh give any credence to the idea that this God of the Hebrews was worth paying attention to or being obedient to or, or worshiping? Well, Pharaoh didn't know, but he was about to find out. That's next Sunday's message. <laughs> you got to come back. It's like, there's no spoiler alerts. If you grew up in church, you know where we're going, Right. But there's some things we can grab hold of and and extract out and we can be reminded of. Ignorance here, you know, this ignorance just means a lack of knowledge about something. In this case, the identity of the God of Israel. But there's ignorance and there's willful ignorance. Difference, right? Ignorance is a lack of information. Willful ignorance can get you in big trouble. It's when you choose to not know or to acknowledge the truth. Okay. Pharaoh's mind was already made up. He said, I don't know the Lord. and Besides, I will not let Israel go. In other words, it doesn't matter who the Lord is. It doesn't matter who he thinks he is, who this God is, or who y'all are representing. My mind is made up. I'm not letting these people go. He was going to be rebellious no matter what. So we look at that on this side of history and we go, man, Pharaoh, that's a bad dude. He was, he was mean. He was He was evil. He was oppressive and and he's about to get even more so. And we look back at it, but not so fast. What about us? Is there something in your mind I have to evaluate, or something in my mind that I've already got made up about what I will or won't do? Are there some things that you have made a determination that this is what you're going to be about? This is what you're going to do, regardless? What if God says otherwise? you read his word, you're confronted with truth, you're confronted with something that maybe you've been doing that's against God's plan or that you haven't been doing something that is part of his plan, and you got to make a decision. Man, you're, you're confronted with that burning tugging on your heart that the Lord uses from his word and people speaking into your life and encouragement and opportunity and need out there, and there's no doubt that God is, hey, just like he called Moses out of that burning bush unmistakably. You know that God wants you to do something. There's a rightness about it, but I'm not doing that. I'll go this far, but I'm not going that far. I just want you to know when we do that and we are all prone to set our own agenda and want to do things our own way, then we're being way more like Pharaoh than we're being like Moses. That's just the truth of us. That's a, a caution for our lives. The second thing, that, that, uh, that we see here and recognizing this, acknowledging this, is that God's allowance of hardships doesn't change the reality of his promise. God's allowance of hardships doesn't change the reality of his promise. Now, before we dive too far into that, let me just say, they represent what, what you know, th- this God of the Hebrews is who they identified him as in verse 3, Let us go in the three day trip in the wilderness. We may sacrifice to the Lord our God. In other words, it is important to us that we worship God, that we get away to worship Him in a specific way by making sacrifice. Look at this, or else He may strike us with plague or sword. In other words, we have received instruction from God. He has told us what to do. The consequences of disobedience for us is that we could be struck with plague or sword. And by extension, by the way, they don't say this, but it's obvious to Pharaoh that if you're the one that's the roadblock, keeping God's people from doing what, what he would want them to do, being obedient to him, then you're going to set yourself up to receive the consequences as well. So, that's where they are. And basically, the king of Egypt just says, y'all are lollygagging around. Get back to work. So, God allows hardship here in verses 6 through 19. We're not going to read them all, but here's the the idea. Here's what happens. God commands the overseers of the people in their form, and these are Israelite leaders over these people that are responsible for this brick-making project that is just ongoing for them. He says, "Don't, don't supply them with any more straw. They've got to go and gather the straw themselves. And I'm not reducing the quota of bricks that they've got to produce either. They've got to figure it out. No straw from us, get your own straw, no less bricks, oppressive on them, just down on them. And beating them down. And so, the overseers and the foremen, they go out, they relay that message. Man, the the people are scattered out through Egypt. They're scrapping up whatever they can scrap to make these bricks because, man, you know, if if y'all remember your mud pie making days, maybe, you know, you got to have a little substance in there for that thing to stick together. It can't just be some mud. There's got to be something in there to it. This straw, that's kind of what helped these, these bricks to have something to, to adhere to. And we even know from archaeology that these bricks can be very durable. They could last for a long time if they're not getting bombarded by, by heavy downpour of rain. That, that's where they're at. And so the Israelites are just, what in the world, man? How, how can we do it? And, and then how come you guys didn't finish your prescribed number of bricks today? And it's just on them and it's on them. And so these foremen, they go and they cry out to, to Pharaoh for some help. And in verse 17, he says... You're slackers, slackers. That's why you're saying, let's go sacrifice to the Lord. In other words, y'all are trying to duck work here. Get back to work and keep producing the same quantity of bricks. And so the Israelite foreman relay that message to the Israelites to get back to making bricks. And then they go and they talk to, to, to Moses and Aaron. Have you ever been in a situation where fairness just was not present, treated unfairly by someone, put in a situation that there was no way that you had a chance to succeed based on what had been put out before you. We know that just from the balance of Scripture and all the things that we see throughout Scripture, that because we live in a fallen world, we live in a sinful world. There are consequences of that sin, and we know things to be true like this. Scripture says that it rains on the just and the unjust. In other words, those that are walking with the Lord and following Him, we're susceptible to some of the same stuff of life that, that, that those that are against God are. We know that, that what we would consider to be bad things happen to people that we would consider to be good people. That's, that's reality because we live in a fallen world. Jesus told His disciples in this world, you will have trouble. Now, if these ones that have walked closest with him, that he has given this commission to go and to share the truth and the gospel out there, if they're going to walk and they're going to have hard times like that, doesn't it stand to reason that we may experience some trouble? We know that Paul had a thorn in his side. Don't know exactly what that meant, whether it was a physical infirmity or something else that was going on, but it was something that he needed relief from. And he prayed, and he asked God, Scripture says three times, and God did not give him relief from that. We know that from the book of James, that when we face trials and tribulations, we go through hard times and and we're just walking through those things, that the Lord uses those as we remain steady in our faith, that he grows us, that he perseveres. As we persevere with him, he builds our faith through those things. Now, I don't like that. I would just assume him just kind of give me a little zap and man, that's all the increase of faith that I need. And I would just have everything I need right there just because God, I'm a good guy. You know, I love you and I want to do the good stuff for you. And so hit me with the good stuff. And that's just not the way that it works. We walk through dips and valleys in life, sometimes blatant unfairness. But remember, God can't not keep his promises. Is there something that God cannot do? Yeah, there's several things God cannot do. One thing God cannot do, he can't not keep his promise. He's going to keep his promise. Third thing we see today is that God appearing to be absent doesn't equal a failure of guidance. God's appearing to be absent doesn't equal a failure of guidance. Verse 20, they, when they left Pharaoh, they confronted Moses and Aaron who stood waiting to meet them. May the Lord take note of you and judge, they said to them, because you have made us reek to Pharaoh and his officials, putting a sword in their hand to kill us. This is the beginning of the story of Moses and his leadership with these people of experiencing their fickleness, experiencing their total willingness to abandon what they knew to be true, even in the most recent past, to Abandon the instruction that they have received, that they have subscribed to, and said that they'll go along with. This is one of those deals. I mean, th- th- what we're we gonna do? They're just gonna go to Moses and Aaron, and they're gonna blame them for it. And I just wanna—don't you just wanna just hug Moses and go bless your heart? I mean, you got to deal with this from from these people. This is just the beginning. It was gonna be a pattern of having to deal with people this way. They were so frustrated. I mean. They had, remember, now the, the, the experience had to have, must have been fading in their mind. It may have been fading for Moses a little bit because of what he says to God in just a moment. But man, with these people, they have seen these miraculous signs done. They have said, yes, obviously God is God and he's going to do what he said that he, he would do. But now, in light of these circumstances that are less than what they would want them to be, they're mad. And they're angry with those that are representing the Lord. And they said, they want God to judge Moses and Aaron. In other words, y'all need to be getting this punishment from God because you made us reek, stink, putrid. Remember, these are already slaves. They're already hardworking, bricklaying people. They are the lowest of the low. And now, not only are we all this, we stink, to Pharaoh, not literal stink. That's just a. I mean, how could they be less regarded than to reek to Pharaoh and his officials, basically putting a, a sword in their hands to kill us? Well, you got to imagine that Moses was pretty heartbroken by that. He was overwhelmed. He knew that God had spoken to him in that burning bush, he knew that he had called out, God had proven himself that, that, that he was God. He had given him the ability to do these miraculous signs. All of this built up to it, but but here we are, and it ain't going the way that I want it to go. So Moses went back to the Lord, verse 22, and asked, Lord, why have you caused trouble for this people? And why did you ever send me? Ever since I went into Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has caused trouble for this people, and you haven't rescued your people at all. Basically, God you haven't done what you told me that you would do. He's calling out God right here. The problem is that Moses is kind of timing God with a stopwatch, and God's operating with a, with a calendar, an eternal calendar. That's how God's working and operating here. It, what Moses was expecting didn't happen the way that he was expecting it, and it didn't happen in the timing that he was expecting it to happen. The memory of the burning bush had obviously faded. God's confirmation in all these ways that he had shown himself to be true to Moses didn't feel as intense as the scorn that he was receiving from the people. Get that? There's this confirmation of God that you want to have. Does that confirmation feel as intense as the scorn that happens from those that aren't seen it that way, that are against God. Let me ask it to us in real time. How often do we allow the opinions, or criticisms, complaints of people way more than the influence of the Word of God, the plan of God, the presence of the Lord? How often do we do it? We've got some challenges in our nation, to say the least. We have some challenges in our state right now, to say the least, where things that are very much not in keeping with the heart of God are being things that are being promoted and codified into law, allowed to happen. These are not good times when it comes to things like that. We, as God's people, have a responsibility to hold true to what we know to be true. We have a responsibility that thus saith the Lord. By the way, this in verse 1 of chapter 5, where it says, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, if your verse says, thus saith the Lord, that's the first one of those that we see. First one of those that we see, this says the Lord. To be in a culture where thus saith the Lord seems to have less and less importance does not lessen our responsibility to say it, to put it out there, to make sure that our leaders know that there are consequences to disobedience. There are consequences to turning our backs on what God says is right and is holy and is true. And we're going to deal with that more in days ahead, talk about some of those things, but we really need to be praying for the right message to get to those that have the opportunity and the ability to make some key decisions for us. So, Moses calls out God, and the Lord replied to Moses, Now you'll see what I'll do to Pharaoh. Because of a strong hand, he will let them go, and because of a strong hand, he will drive them from his land. In other words, I I hear you, Moses, but my plan is my plan. What I told you still holds true. Now you're going to see the consequences that Pharaoh is going to experience because of this. Most of us have had a time when we've wondered if God was near, if he was hearing our prayers, if he was going to be faithful to do what he said he was going to do, or what well, we understood him saying, that we talked about this last week. He didn't go back on his word. In the end, his will will be done. He sees the end from the beginning. And so when we're walking through times when it seems like God is not as real as we would like him to be, when we don't feel the feeling that we want to feel that confirms that God is God. and He's doing God's stuff. I want to remind you of several things. Again, several more promises from Scripture. He promises that he'll never leave us or forsake us. He promises that he's an ever-present help in time of trouble. He promises to be with us through the valley of the shadow of death. Some of you have walked that valley. And ultimately, in eternity, he's going to keep his promise and receive us to himself. That's a better outcome than I could ever fully describe to you. That one day, one day, he's coming. In the meantime, he is faithful. And just because we feel like he is absent, that does not mean that he has abandoned us or he's not still sovereign. He's still God. Through every season, we can trust the Lord is faithful. Now back to the beginning of our discussion today, the less spiritual part of it, if you'll give me an indulgence here just for a couple minutes. The end of the story, Monday night of the LSU saga, after humiliating defeat on Sunday. How are these boys going to overcome this? On Monday night in the championship game, they broke the record for the most hits in a college World Series game with 24. The record that Florida had tied the day before, LSU broke the next day. The same LSU that got beating, beaten down into submission the day before now has set a record. They score 18 runs. They win the national championship. It is glorious for those of us that are LSU people. No spiritual truth there, okay? Just an example of how things aren't always the way that they appear. They're not always. Just because it looks bad or turned upside down doesn't mean it is. I have no doubt that Florida people were praying every bit as hard as LSU people were praying, okay? It wasn't a God favors them more than us. It was just baseball, okay? But in life, there are experiences we have where we wonder, and I just want to encourage you, that when it seems like you're up against it, when the odds are not in your favor, when they're going the wrong direction, that's not the end of the story. There's something better. Never give up never give up on God. He will accomplish his plan. Today, we're going to celebrate the presence of the Lord by observing the Lord's Supper together. If you're a believer in Jesus, you know the significance of this. If you're not a believer in Jesus, then I would ask that respectfully that while we observe the Lord's Supper, you just kind of watch and just kind of absorb the moment and know that what we're doing is something that Jesus has called us as believers in Christ to do, as often as we do it, and we, we acknowledge him, we, we remember him and his sacrifice, it identifies us with the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, and that really we're proclaiming his death until he comes by, by doing this. What we do when we observe the Lord's Supper is we acknowledge that what appeared to be the greatest defeat in all of mankind's history was not what it appeared to be. If if it was a crushing defeat like it felt like it was to those disciples when Jesus was nailed to that cross and if that was the end of the story then we wouldn't be here this morning doing what we're doing. But because because what happened on that cross was Jesus paying a price for our sin that we couldn't pay and him being put in that tomb, and that stone rolled over the tomb, if that was the end of the story right there, that this man that died claiming that he did it for for us, uh, and he's just dead, and if that's the end of the story, we're not here this morning doing what we're doing. But because on the third day that stone was rolled away, and the resurrection power that overwhelmed that tomb, Jesus conquered sin, death, and the grave through the power of the Almighty. And he walked out of there. And that power that he walked out of there with, that resurrection power, is available to us today as children of God when we receive Jesus. John chapter 1 says that as many as received him to those he gave the right to become children of God. That if we repent from our sin, we turn from it, unless we repent, Scripture says, we'll likewise perish. Jesus said that. But when we repent, when we turn from our own way, doing things the way that we want to do them, and we turn to God's way, then he receives us. He restores us. He gives us his presence, his forgiveness, and the hope of a future with him. His promise. We have that. And that's what it means to be a believer and to walk with Jesus, to know that through faith, you have this relationship that changes everything in spite of how the circumstances look or feel. Believers in Jesus, you've done that. And today, this is an opportunity to identify with that and remember. Again, if you're not a believer in Jesus, I pray that you let the Lord just speak to you during this time. Paul recounted what happened on that night to the church at Corinth in chapter 11. When he said on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And if you'll take the top off of the the juice there, verse 25 says that in the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup, As the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And he goes on. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's what we're doing. This act, this symbolic act that we engage in, says I believe and I receive. That Jesus gave his body for me. He shed his blood to cover my sin. And I choose to let him take over my life, be the leader of my life, be my Savior, be my Lord. And this is how I identify with him. And I hope that that's an encouragement to you. If you, again, have not made that commitment to Christ, then I would invite you in the quietness of this moment to do that. Just pray a simple prayer. I'll pray and lead us an example of how to pray that out loud, and you pray it to the Lord. Would you bow with me right now? If you're a believer in Jesus, you know what to do. Man, thank him for what he's done for you, and be praying for those that don't know him. But if you don't know Jesus the way I've described, if you have not committed your life to follow after him in obedience, if you've not received his forgiveness for your sin, which, by the way, is the only way that you can be made right in the presence of a holy God, the only way you can have God's presence in your life and the only way that you can have eternity with him is through receiving the forgiveness that Jesus extends to us by what he's done for us. The quietness of this moment, would you just receive that? Would you say, God, I believe you. I believe that Jesus paid the price for my sin and I, I admit that I'm a sinner and I can't do it myself. I need forgiveness. Please wash my sin away. Come into my life. I choose to receive Jesus and live life his way from this day forward. Now I want to know what to do next. How do I grow in this relationship that I'm committing to? Lord, show me your way. I commit to walk with you, and I mean this with all my heart in Jesus' name. Amen.